May you please take your Bibles now and open them to Genesis chapter 22. You can keep that outline handy if you so desire. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22 will be in, we'll just read the first three verses this morning. I believe this is a familiar passage to most of you. Genesis 22 features an outstanding type of Christ in that Isaac as you know, carried the wood up this mountain where Abraham was commanded to sacrifice him before God, abruptly stopped it and had a different sacrifice take his place. In Genesis 22, verse 1, it says, It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, Here I am. He said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up. And went unto the place of which God had told him. If you would, please bow your heads with me. Let's ask God to help us this morning. Father, thank you for how you've already stirred in our hearts. Thank you for the song. Oh, what a blessed hymn that is. What a great question to ask ourselves. Is our all on the altar laid? Father, thank you for the Putneys. Thank you for how you've worked in that man's life and that family's life and how you've used them there in Columbia and the other areas nearby. Please continue to use them. Father, help us as a church. Show us how we can be involved in what you're doing there. God, we ask now that you'd come down and meet with us. Whether it's here in the building or those people watching at home, please stir in our hearts and use this story this morning to challenge us to rise up to the sacrifice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I understand as you read this, these three verses and this story as a whole that we are not dealing directly with missionary work in Genesis 22. I understand that. I do believe, however, that in this story we are learning something that speaks loudly to what lies at the heart of missionary work, especially when we're speaking about foreign missionary work, and that is there is a challenge of sacrifice in this passage. There is a challenge for sacrifice. I've given it to you on the outline if you'd like to take a look at it. The, the definition of sacrifice, of course, I just took this from the dictionary. I'll make one slight adjustment as we read it together. The definition of sacrifice is an act of giving up something valued for the sake of something else regarded as more important or worthy. I'm going to make one change to this. I believe this is a fine definition for sacrifice. But one change, an act of giving up something valued for the sake of not something, but someone. Because when we speak about the challenge of sacrifice as it pertains to missions, it's not a thing that we're doing it for. It's not just a, a ministry. It is for the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we speak about sacrifice this morning, 
We're talking about giving up something valued for the sake of someone regarded as more important or worthy. Early on in my Christian life, I'm talking two months maybe after I got saved, I began to learn about foreign missions. When I got saved, it was a small church. We have a packed house here today. Thank God for all of you that have come out. I believe we're close to 50, if not 50, on the button this morning. This is double the size of the church that I got saved in. We had about 20, 25 members. But that being said, there was still an emphasis on missions, on foreign missions, on winning souls, not only in our town, but across the world. Mike Dobbins, many of you know this name now. You've seen him here in our church. He's a missionary in Zambia. He was the first foreign missionary that I ever met. He came through the church, presented his work, and immediately I was so intrigued. It, I, had never, I had never heard of this type of sacrifice where somebody would give up the comforts of their home country, the comforts of a first world country to go to a third world country and minister for Christ and for the gospel. And I, I begin to read more and more stories about it. And these foreign missionaries, not just Brother Dobbins, mind you, but foreign missionaries in general, and their stories gripped my heart and quickly they became my heroes. You can understand why, right? It was the great sacrifice that these missionaries were making. I, I begin to see a constant theme there was something that every one of those foreign missionaries had in common. At some point in their life, they had to sit down and count the cost. They had to, if I can use the, the wording from verse number three, they had to rise up. Do you see where it says Abraham rose up? Twice in that verse, he rose up. In all of these missionaries, missionary lives, God presented them with this challenge. He, pre he called them to this faraway place and they had to rise up to that challenge. I might be understating it to say this, but the challenge of foreign missions is I want you to be a Christian somewhere else. I, I think that might be understating it a bit. That, that might be oversimplifying it a bit. But as I mentioned last week, the idea of, of being in the ministry of reconciliation is not something limited to a foreign missionary, right? That's a job for all of us to be involved in. But when it comes to foreign missions, you have to, you have to factor into this. When that man, that woman sits down to count the cost, here's what they have to count on. I'm going to have to adopt or at least get used to another culture. I don't know if you can fully appreciate how difficult that is. It's one thing to read about it and go, wow, that's different. It's another thing to live in the midst of it. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, those people are looking at you as if the mothership came down and dropped you off. <laughs> it is not easy to live under that pressure, to learn a new language. Now, in this rainbow nation, that might seem second nature. Many of you are bilingual, trilingual, I don't know how to say it beyond the quattrolingual. I, I don't know. You, you multi, multilingual. So that's not a big deal. Well, if you're an American, it is. <laughs> We're not known for being able to pick up new languages. Then you have to factor in the health issue. When you take your physical body and put it in a place completely foreign, right? 
and that climate hits you. When we take a young couple from our church and put them in a country where some days they don't see the sun at all. It never rises. And then other days they walk out of their door at 3 a.m. and it's, the sun is shining bright in the sky. That messes with you. <laughs> that plays tricks with your mind, with your health. And let's not forget to factor in that these foreign missionaries, they have to say goodbye to family, loved ones and friends. That's not an easy sacrifice to make. As the years have gone on, I have not lost any of my appreciation for the sacrifice that foreign missionaries make. It is not, that sacrifice is not depreciated. If anything, I have increased in my appreciation because I've lived it. But I have learned something. There's something I want to add to this story, and that is this. I've learned that this massive sacrifice that we see in foreign missions is not truly limited to foreign missions. The longer I look at it, I realize, and I've come to realize that anybody, even those of us that are called to stay right where we're at, we are still challenged with the same level of sacrifice. You say, but Brother Mike, God's not challenging me to go to a foreign place. Right, but He's challenging you to love Him more than anything else in your life. That's the same challenge. That's the challenge that Abraham was met with. When it comes to discipleship, right, the life of a disciple involves self-denial. It involves carrying your cross. It involves forsaking all to follow Him. It involves, and you, I have given you a verse on your paper, losing your life for the gospel's sake and for the Son of Man's sake. That's a requirement of discipleship, not of being a foreign missionary. That is something that God asks. Let me not say ask. That is something that God requires of anybody who is going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as one of his disciples. This is not limited to foreign missions. All of us today are challenged with this. And I think that we can learn from how these foreign missionaries have responded to that call, to that challenge. We can also learn from Abraham's story here. I just want to slip this thought into your, into your mind as we proceed. The book of Hebrews chapter 13, there's a very interesting verse that says, We have an altar. We have an altar. That verse goes on to explain that we have an altar that those priests from the Old Testament, which when the book of Hebrews was written, the temple was still standing and there were priests that went in daily to offer sacrifices at a literal physical altar. But the writer of Hebrews says we have an altar that they have no right to, to, to come to. Our altar is something that we carry with us daily, every moment of our lives that altar is a spiritual one. And constantly there is a sacrifice that we are challenged to make. And that is to be this full-blown disciple for Christ. So in order to rise up to the challenge of sacrifice. And make no mistake, guys. You cannot divorce the idea of sacrifice from the Christian life. 
Let's not cheapen Christianity by trying to make it as convenient and comfortable as possible. I'm not asking you to make it more difficult than it needs to be. But Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to sit down first and count the cost. We have an altar. What are you doing with it? The song we sang, is your all on the altar? We have an altar. Is yours empty? Let's learn a few things from Abraham's story here. First thing on your outline. Point number one, and we're in verse number one to see this. Abraham listened. If you want to fill it in, Abraham listened. How do we rise up to the challenge of sacrifice? First of all, you have to have ears to hear. Abraham listened. Read verse 1 again with me. It came to pass after these things. After what? In chapter 21, we read about Abraham going through various struggles with Gentiles around him. We read about Abraham sending away his firstborn son, Ishmael. That couldn't have been easy because he loved Ishmael. After these things, after making certain sacrifices already at God's bidding, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Tempt him in what way? This is a test. It is a challenge that God's... He's not tempting him to do anything morally evil or sinful. He's, he's testing to see where he, God, ranks in Abraham's heart. God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Look at the verse again and pretend that the last phrase isn't there. What if, what if the Bible said God did tempt Abraham, verse 2, and he said, Take now thy son? Wouldn't we still understand the story just perfectly? Wouldn't we still have the whole thing? We would still get the point. God is issuing a challenge, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and we'd still get it. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit saw fit to include the end part of verse 1, this seemingly mundane piece of information that God speaks to Abraham, and Abraham responded and said, Behold, here I am. I don't think we can just pass by that point quickly. I think it's worth noting. Why add that detail? I think the first step in sacrificial living is listening to what God has to say to you personally. Being available. Being ready to hear what God might be challenging you with. This requires a close, intimate, personal relationship with God. It requires it. I'll make one, one more statement about the requirement. It also requires patience. Let me tell you why. Because it's, it's not as if God does this every day. It's not as if God just shows up every day and says, here, I'm going to issue this massive challenge. This isn't something you do at your own convenience. You know what might happen? You might go to God. You might preemptively go to God and say, God, here I am. You didn't call, but here I am. <laughs> I sure would like to be used of you. Please show me what to do. You know what God might do? He said, well noted. I'll keep that in mind. Thanks for volunteering. Have any of you gotten that response? Where, the, where, the God, says, where God says, I appreciate your, volu 
You're volunteering. That's very kind of you. Um, let me think about it for a while. I'll send you a WhatsApp when I've decided. And the problem is that spiritual WhatsApp doesn't come through for the next three or four years. Sometimes the challenge is to see if you'll patiently wait, to see if you'll be faithful to do that which is least before he can trust you with that which is much. Why do we need to listen? Why is this such an important part of sacrificing? Because you don't want to just go through your Christian life making up sacrifices. Here's what I have done. God, I love you. I want to prove it. Let me show you how much. Let me give this, give this, give this, give this, give this. And all of a sudden, God says, man, bless your heart. You do love me, but stop. Hit the pause button. There's something specific I'd like for you to do. You're running so fast, burning the candle at both ends. You have all the right intentions, but take a breath. Listen, this is what I'd like for you to concentrate on. There's this Isaac in your life, and I know you love it a lot, but this is, this is how I'd like for you to do something for me. You know what God might say? He might say, go far. He might say, come spend a little extra time in the prayer closet. He might say, give a little more. It's endless what God might say. You know what God might say? This might really catch some of you by surprise. God might say, do a little less. <laughs> I bet you've never heard a pastor say that, right? <laughs> You're doing too much for the Lord. Do a little less. You say, ah, no, no, no. God would never tell me that. Well, I'll let the Holy Spirit deal with you personally. But for some of you, you are trying so hard to do something for God. It's not a matter of, of intention. All the right intention is there. We just have to narrow down what exactly would he like for you to do this is where the listening comes in going to God in prayer and waiting for him to give you some instruction did you know that you can go through the motions of Christianity you can do these I want I want to call them daily duties right that you often hear about things like reading your bible and praying coming to church those kind of things you can do that without having ears to hear right haven't you ever done this haven't you ever read a chapter or two of the bible and at the end of it you go whoa what did i just read right i, I think we've all caught ourselves doing that our mind is in one place our, our eyes are going through the words we read it but we really didn't pay much attention we say the right things in the prayer closet, but really we're just going through the motions. And, and I think, like I said, all of us experience this from time to time. I'm just trying to point out that when you do these things, make sure that you have turned on these ears, these spiritual ears to say, God, here I am. And Lord, if, if all I'm going to do today is just read and be reminded of some basic things, great. But I just want you to know that I'm listening. If there's something unique or specific that you'd like for me to do, I'm ready. I'm ready. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. So no matter what it is that you're doing, but especially when you're sitting in a church service or you have your Bible opened and you're reading it, you're kneeling in the prayer closet. Be sure that you're listening for the voice of your shepherd. The book of Hebrews, it says, Today, 
If ye will hear His voice, harden not your heart. Is it possible that He's trying to speak to you today? Is that possible? Is it possible that even in this church service, He's trying to tell you personally something special that He'd like for you to do? In, in, in part number two, or the second thing on your outline, I want to point out another thing that Abraham teaches us about rising up to the challenge. First, Abraham had ears to hear. He listened. He was available when God called. And in verse number two, we're going to see that Abraham loved. That's the second part of your outline. Abraham loved. It says in verse two, he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest did you know this is the first time in the bible the word love appears first time in the word of god you know what god says about it take that thing you love and give it to me isn't that interesting that love the first time you read love you also read about a sacrifice now we We've already mentioned that God is not asking Abraham to do something sinful. The temptation you read about here is not tempting him with moral evil, but it's a challenge. God wants to know where he ranks in Abraham's heart. And if I can, I want to broaden our scope a little bit. When you think about it, isn't this true that pretty much every day we are proving our love to God with how we handle, how we live our lives? Right? There are, we know there are basic expectations that come with being one of Christ's followers. We know that there are certain things he wants us to do. And the way we deal with those basic responsibilities, it does say something about our love to him. Is, isn't this right? So all the time, if you think about it that way, there's always a test of sorts going on. There's always a bit of a challenge. Let me remind you some of these basic expectations. Love your spouse. Isn't that challenging? You can say amen. It's okay. We have it on tape. It's okay. Go, go, go to your job and work diligently. Don't be lazy. Don't loaf. No amens. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Live peaceably with all men. As much as lies within you. Let's qualify it with that. Live peaceably with all men. Raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a very broad command, but it's a command. Can I slip in something on that? In the book of Deuteronomy, it also tells us to enjoy our children. Enjoy them. I think you're, you're getting the, the idea of what I'm trying to get across. These basic responsibilities, we know these things are right, but every day, the world sometimes can make those things more challenging. Sometimes our flesh can make those things more challenging. It's not as if God has to appear to us every day and say, listen, today's Wednesday, love your wife. <laughs> okay, today's Thursday, love your wife again. <laughs> you see, this isn't an everyday thing. There are some things, there are some times, however, where God is going to come to you and say, now listen, you, you know about these basic things, and I can see how faithful you've been at doing what's right with those things basic things but today I want more today I want more 
I, I would be, I'd be wrong to skip past this part. I want to make sure I, I get this in here because when we look at these things that we daily are expected to do as Christians, to treat others right, to love our family, love our brother, to, to read, pray, you know, we do those things to, to maintain a solid relationship with God. You understand that, right? You don't always feel like doing them. Do not let your flesh convince you that this is a solid excuse to offer God to say, I didn't feel like it, my heart wasn't in it, so therefore I didn't do it. I think our flesh loves to, if it's not your flesh, at least mine, loves to do that. Say, well, my heart's just not in it. I'm not really going to get much out of it. So, you know, I better leave it until it really means more to me. Wow, if we wait for the feeling to strike us, you're probably never going to get around to it. It would be better to do this. Be honest about it. It's okay to be honest about it. Say, God, my heart's just not in it at the moment. Let me take a moment to get my heart right. Let me take a moment to think about why this is important and why I should carry on doing it. And listen, sometimes the challenges of the day do, it does change how how much we can do about these basic things. But that's when you need to rise up to the challenge and say, God, these things are so important to you, therefore they are important to me. And even if I don't feel like doing it, I may not be bringing my A game. God, I'm going to give you the very best I can under my current circumstance. And then sometimes God will say, great, you've been faithful in that which is least, and now I would like more. We talked about it a little bit last week. You can measure your love, right? We talked about Christ's love and how to measure that. I think that I can borrow that same sentiment and fit it into this sermon. We can also measure love by the, uh, by the sacrifice that you're willing to make on God's behalf. Now, if, if you find that to be a faulty premise, let me go back to a very well-known verse to prove it. John three sixteen. If you want to know how much God loved you, how much he loved the world, look at what he gave. Look at the sacrifice he made for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I think it's a fair way to measure how massive somebody's love is by the sacrifice that they're willing to make. The Bible says in 1 John 4, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as the propitiation, the payment for our sins. John said, you want to see what love is? You want to see how big it is? Look at the sacrifice that God gave. He gave his son. You say, well, if that's the case, I'll just dream up the biggest sacrifice I can give and give it. This is where you have to have point one. Listen to exactly what God is asking for you to do. You say, well, that was Abraham. Why wouldn't it be you? Why couldn't this be you? Abraham, do you love me to give up, love me enough to give up your son? Boy, God, you're asking a lot there. That's my boy. I love my son, but not anything like I love you. This shows us the type of thing that God would ask. He takes that thing, and Isaac's not a bad thing, is he? It's not as if this is a sin that God is asking him to give up. 
What's the definition of sacrifice? The act of giving up something valued for the sake of someone else. More important, more worthy. This is a matter of seeing where your heart's at. Years ago, after I got saved, I was sitting in church one Sunday morning and our pastor preached on the idea of being willing to serve God in any way. And after the service, we went outside. There was three of us speaking and, and we were chatting about the sermon and just kind of following up with what the pastor had said. And the one brother said, I'd do this and I'd do that. And the next guy said, I would sacrifice this and this. And it was a very informal type of conversation. And I chimed in with this brilliant remark and I said, well, I'd, I'd do anything for God except go to Africa. <laughs> well done, Mike. <laughs> And that's when the angels of heaven went. <laughs> that was a good one. God, we know you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> listen, don't be afraid if you've made comments like that. It's not as if God's going, ooh, that's the one thing he won't do. Let's do it. It doesn't always happen like that. You know, you, you, could, you could really twist that, you know. God, I'd do anything for you except win a million rand. I'd never do that for you. <laughs> So, so you can't abuse that. But I do remember making that statement and then something in my heart, I felt a prick in my heart say, ooh, really? Are, are, we, are, are, are we laying this out to say, God, you can ask anything, but don't ask me for that. Is, is there really something that God can ask of you that's just too much? Based on the sacrifice he made for you and what he's done in your life, can he really ask too much? I got to Bible school. Many of you know the story, so I'll keep it brief. But I prayed about going to India. I wanted to go to India so badly as a missionary. There's just something about this. It's very relaxing. <laughs> huh? Something about that. You. We nod, but they keeps your neck loose you don't need a chiropractor if you're in India right it's very nice I prayed about India and God just would not let me go eventually he shifted my focus to Malawi a week after I graduated from Bible school I got on a plane for the very first time in my life I flew over almost 40 hours in the plane all the planes, lots of layovers and stuff. I, I finally arrived in Malawi. I was so sick. I had blown out half of my eardrum, my right eardrum. Half of it was gone by the time we got there. The very first plane ride to get to the Atlanta airport, I blew out my eardrum. So from Atlanta to London, London to Harare, Harare to Lusaka, Lusaka, the long way, my eardrum was gone. So man, that going up and down in a plane is just brutal. For the next three weeks, I was in Malawi. I was cheated out of all of my money. The pastors that I met with there, they lied to me. They stole thousands of dollars from me. I was only sleeping one or two hours a day because my eardrum's gone, and I was having a very severe reaction to a malaria preventative. I didn't know I was having these reactions because, silly me, I didn't bring that small little sheet with all the fine print that tells you if you're about to die. I didn't bring that. When I got back to America, I went to the pharmacist. I got the sheet. There are 14 side effects known for this medicine. I had 12 of them. Number 14 is death. 
I was right about there. At one point, I asked these pastors, we were traveling, as you often see, right? This is very common, to see these clean buckies, these small little pickups with 20 people in the back and six of us in the cab, you know. I'm smushed in between. Little white man sandwich, you know. <laughs> and I, I asked the pastors, I said, please stop, please. My head was spinning so bad, I felt like I was going to vomit. I got out of the, the clean bucky, the small pickup for those of you that don't know clean bucky. And uh, I knelt down on the side of the road and the pastors came over and said, what, what, what's wrong? I said, gentlemen, I don't think I'm going to make it. I said, this is about as far as I can go. And I looked at, the, I looked at my interpreter, because the rest, nobody else spoke English. I just looked at the interpreter and said, tell my family that I love them and that I'm sorry I didn't make it home. And those pastors gathered around and they prayed and, you know, they, they did their best to encourage me. And I, I, I stayed there for about 10 minutes just on my hands and knees on the side of the road. Nothing but jungle all around. It was just grass everywhere. I got back in the Baki. We continued the trip. When I got to the airport after those three weeks, I had just enough money to buy one cup of tea. That was everything we had. Christina had to send over our rent money from America so we literally bottomed out the bank account when I got back to America I wasn't able to walk under my own power for several days I'd have surgery to fix my ear I was so sick and I remember being angry at God why would you make me do that why would you make me go there and the last thing I wanted to do was come back after the surgery, I had to lay in bed for quite some time to recover. It took me a couple months before I could go back to work. And in that time, God, one day, He stepped into that bedroom. He said, Mike, you've been asking why. I'm going to tell you why. I'm calling you to go and minister to people that every day of their life they experienced the struggles that you had for three weeks. You needed to have a taste of what they go through every day of their existence. Now you're a little more prepared to go and minister to them. Are you willing? And I remember my heart just breaking. And I said, God, I told you long ago that I would do anything for you except go to Africa. And I want to fix that today. God, it's the last thing I want to do, but if you want me to go back, I'll go. I'll go. It's a decision that I've never regretted. Let me ask you this question. You know how the story that we're reading in Genesis 22 ends up. Do you think Abraham ever regretted making the decision he made? I'm sure in the three days it took him to get to Mount Moriah, I'm sure he was thinking, oh, I don't know if this is a good plan. But in hindsight, he never regretted sacrificing something for God. He never regretted that. As I've mentioned before, this sacrifice is not limited to foreign missions. I've given it to you on your paper. Would you look at it with me in Ephesians 5 and verse 2? This is a command given to any child of God. If you want to read Ephesians 5, you'll see this. As dear children, be followers of God. And it says in verse 2, walk in love as Christ also hath loved us Watch what comes next. And hath 
given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. This is not something asked just for missions, but of anyone. No sacrifice that God will ever ask of you is too great. He can never ask too much. He's only asking for your entire heart. He's asking that you love Him supremely. That you're willing to pay that cost that's involved with discipleship. This is why when Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you have to forsake all. That means, that means hating father, mother, brother, sister. Say, that's, man, that's a very big ask. How can God want me to forsake family? You, you might be blessed with a family that also follows Christ, and I hope you are. But this might be a challenge for you that if you're going to follow Christ fully, the rest of your family may not understand why you're making that decision. Your friends, your coworkers, it may make your life more difficult to be a true disciple. You understand what I'm saying? Not a modern day Christian, but a true biblical disciple. It might make your physical earthly life more difficult, but it will be worth it. Because what you're saying to God when you make that sacrifice is, I love you supremely. Abraham listened, Abraham loved, and thirdly, Abraham had the, and two things, long look. Abraham had the long look. It says in verse number three in our text, in Genesis 22, verse three, Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and claved the wood for the burnt offering. And rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Don't you know that while Abraham was out there with that axe in his hand and he's swinging that, I'm pretty sure that Isaac and the servants also swinging the axe. Can't you see in your mind's eye that Abraham looked over at Isaac? Isaac had no idea what was about to happen. But Abraham looked at him, took a long look at him, said, that's my boy. I've already had to send Ishmael away. You might be wondering, why in the text does it say Isaac was Abraham's only son? Do you see that in there? Take now thy son, thine only son, in verse 2. Why say that? Because Ishmael has already been sent away. Isaac's the only one left. There's no plan B. There's no other son. God is asking for Abraham's everything. Abraham looks at his son. This is the continuation of Abraham's seed, the blessed line, right, that God has given the promise to Isaac that through this young man, I'm going to bless all the nations. So Abraham knows that all the proverbial eggs are in that basket. Abraham, no doubt, took a long look at his son. This would be the equivalent of what Jesus said, counting the cost. You sit down and take a long look and go, my goodness. I love my son so much, I cannot put it into words. And now God wants me to give that? How do I square this equation? 
because God has promised that through Isaac all nations would be blessed. Now think this through with me. No doubt Abraham in the three days he's cutting the wood and climbing the mountain. No doubt he's thinking this through. God said that through Isaac shall all nations be blessed. But then he says go and sacrifice Isaac. Now how can, how can God fulfill the original promise if I obey this command? Do you see the conundrum? No doubt Abraham thought this through and thought, well, huh. Now, if, if, if Abraham was just the natural man and he didn't think this through, if he didn't have the long look, he'd come to this conclusion to say, I must have heard God wrong. Either on part A or part B. Either I didn't hear that promise correctly or I didn't hear the command to sacrifice correctly, right? That's probably the conclusion I would have come to. <laughs> Not Abraham. He had the long look. He thought this all the way through and he factored in that God cannot lie. God will be faithful. God will honor his promises always. So here's what Abraham figured. We read this in the book of Hebrews. That Abraham said, if I offer up Isaac, God will raise him from the dead. So that promise, the, the original promise can be fulfilled. That's the long look. Abraham looked beyond the sacrifice. He looked beyond the pain, beyond the suffering, beyond the death, beyond the altar. And he said, well, I'm going to endure the cross, despising the shame, looking for the joy that lies on the other side of the sacrifice. There might be a death, but there will eventually be a resurrection. That's the long look. If you are going to rise up to the challenge, how can Abraham get out of bed the next day knowing that it is going to lead to the demise of his son? How do you do that? Put yourself in Abraham's shoes for a moment. How do you get out of bed the next day? How do you rise up to that challenge? Because you know, well, God promised that he was going to raise up a seed through Isaac, so... If that means bringing him back from the dead, God's word, God's promise cannot fail. So it was Abraham's faith in God's word that allowed him to follow through with this tremendous sacrifice. What is it that could stick in your heart and motivate you to continually make this discipleship sacrifice? knowing that one day in the long run, long term, it will be worth it all. That there is no sacrifice I'm making today that God will not honor and abundantly bless eventually. It might be painful now and I don't know how I'm going to get through it now, but I know one way or the other, on the other side of this sacrifice, it will be worth it. You might be familiar with this allegory from Galatians chapter 4. But Paul used Ishmael and Isaac as an allegory. Do you guys remember that, that, that part of Scripture? He said that there was Sarah and Isaac, the child of promise, and then there was Hagar and Ishmael, which was a picture of, a, of the flesh, a child of the flesh. You guys remember that? I want to borrow that allegory. Ishmael is a picture of the old life. It is. Genesis 21, the old life is gone. Old things are passed away. What do you have in Genesis 22? Isaac. You know what he represents? The new man. 
the new you, the new creature in Christ. That's what he's a picture of. You know what Abraham has in Genesis 22? He just has one life to offer now. The old life is gone. He has one life. He says, everything I have, all I have is Isaac. God, this life that you have now provided me with, this miraculous life, wasn't Isaac's coming into the world a miracle? Right? Sarah at the age of 90, Abraham at the age of 100, this is a miracle. The fact that you are a new creature in Christ, don't underappreciate that. That's a miracle that you have been born again, that you've been translated into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is an absolute miracle that God has completely changed you and made you into another person. That's a big deal. You say, now I want to taste that abundant life. And Jesus says, okay, you want to you wanna have that abundant life? Then die. Isn't that ironic? Whoa, wait, wait a minute. I wanted life. I wanted eternal life. He says, okay, then you're going to live crucified. Isn't that an oxymoron? Haven't you ever heard this? The crucified life? How can you do both at the same time? I want to live, so I'm going to die. <laughs> I've given you the verse on your paper, Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Jesus said it like this, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his, la- his life for my sake and the gospel's the same shall save it. Do you see the irony that's involved with following Christ here? If you want to live, then you need to die to yourself. You take this new life that you have in Christ and you say, I am not going to use it for my own purposes. Lord, you gave me this life, so however you'd like for me to use it, it's yours for the taking. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have the long look. I know that this is not going to disappoint. Listen to how Paul put it. Paul gave us a description of his reputation, his honor as far as the world is concerned. How great of a man he was according to the flesh. Then he said this, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, I'd give it all up for him. Every honor, every bit of reputation, every gain of the world, I give that up for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul said, I gave it all up to follow Christ and I'd do it again. Could you make that same statement? There's only one way that you can bring yourself to to make this kind of sacrifice, to rise up to this challenge, and that is to think about this in the long term. If you think about the short term, you think South Africa is a difficult place to live. How am I going to make it? I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What about the long look? What about the long look? Abraham said there is no plan B. There's no other son. I am going to go ahead and give it all because I know God will honor this sacrifice. You know how the story turns out. Isaac didn't die. 
Abraham offered up his son, yet the story doesn't end in death. Have you thought, that, thought about that? You go to God this morning and say, God, everything I am, I'll, I'll give it to you. Whatever you ask, you can never ask too much. If you want to ask something special, something that's not required biblically, something special, unique from me, if you want me to go the extra mile, then God, here I am. Just know how the story ends. Look at it with a long look. It doesn't end in death. It doesn't end with Isaac slain on the altar. It ends with God saying, now I can see how much I mean to you. And Isaac lived on. Sometimes you might look at the sacrifice he's asking you to make and you think, well, this is just not going to be worth it. No one's ever going to recognize it or appreciate it. I'm not going to make a difference. It'll just be a waste of my time and of my life. Let me share one story with you in closing. How many of you know this name? Dr. William Leslie. Any of you know this man? Know this name? I didn't until I read this story. Dr. William Leslie... He was a pharmacist in the late 1800s in Canada. He got saved. Shortly thereafter, God began to work on his heart to go into foreign missions. He came to Africa. He moved to the Congo. He began to serve God there. He immediately fell sick. A young lady nursed him back to health. They ended up getting married. So William and Clara... They continued their work in both Angola and then later in the Congo. They spent most of their time there. In the Congo, it took seven years for him to cut a path through the jungle. It was so dense. The story has it, it was a leopard-infested jungle. He had to cut through that for seven years just to reach the village where he could tell some people about the gospel. Seven years. After he got there, he spent 17 years stationed in a place called Vanga. He built a small mission station there, and he would go out periodically to different villages as far as he could reach through this dense jungle. And for 17 years, he labored amongst these people. He taught them how to read, how to write. He gave them Bible stories. It was a very basic ministry for 17 years. And eventually one of the village chiefs got very angry with him and sent him away. Dr. Leslie went back to Canada, heartbroken, and figured, I have wasted my time. I, I slashed through the jungle. I've spent over 20 years on that continent and have hardly anything to show for it. In 1929, William Leslie went back to, Amer uh, to, to Canada, I believe, thinking himself a complete failure. Nine years later, after he got back to his home, he died, never knowing, never knowing the rest of the story. Almost 100 years later, a man named Ramsey went back he was a, with a different missionary team. They went back to this village expecting fully to find a people that had never been touched with the gospel. Lo and behold, in 2010, they showed up in the jungles of, of the Congo there. They went to a place called the Kilu River, Kwilu River, sorry, Kwilu River. 
And they started going from village to village and and all of a sudden they start seeing Christian after Christian after Christian, church after church after church. This entire land was just filled, this whole area filled with Christians and churches. Let me get the facts completely correct here. Let me just read it to you. They had to use a missionary aviation ministry to get from place to place. Many of you know it, Mission Aviation Fellowship The pilot flew them from place to place, and they reached a place called Vanga. They hiked a mile to the Quilu River and used dugout canoes to cross the half-mile-wide expanse. They hiked with backpacks another 10 miles into the jungle before they reached the first village of the Yansi people. Based on his previous research, this man Ramsey thought that the Yansi in this remote area might have some exposure to the name of Jesus, but no real understanding of who he is. They were unprepared for their remarkable find. He says, when we got in there, we found a network of reproducing churches throughout the jungle. Each village had its own gospel choir, although they wouldn't call it that. He said that they wrote their own songs and they would often have sing-offs from village to village, one village against the other village. They found a church in each of the eight villages they visited scattered across about 50 kilometers. They even found in one place a thousand-seat cathedral that the local people had built. He learned that back in the 1980s, these churches had become so crowded, many people walking for many kilometers just to get to church that that's why they had to keep expanding and building more churches they didn't have a bible in their own language in the Yancey language they had to use a French bible so they would teach their church members French just so that they could understand the church services and the bible being preached Ramsey began to ask how did you guys hear about Jesus where did all this get started and the locals said we are not sure if this was the man's first name or last name, but we only know one name. We know that he was a Baptist missionary. That's all we know. But all we know is that there was a man that used to walk and hike and go through these rivers in these canoes, and he would go from village to village and tell people about Jesus, and he taught our people how to read and write so that we could learn more and teach others said, he's the reason that all of this exists. Not hundreds. Thousands of souls had come to Christ. Churches everywhere. William Leslie died thinking he was a failure. Thinking that his sacrifice was really amounted to nothing. You got to have that long look. You, you can't see the difference that the sacrifice makes in this life. But you have to have some faith that God saw it, He recorded it, He can work with the sacrifice you've made, and in the long run, that sacrifice will be worth it. So I'll end with this song. I just want to ask you the question, is your all on the altar? What is the Isaac that God is asking from you? Let's all stand if you would, please. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'd like for you to take just a few moments and think about what you've heard this morning. Is your all on the altar? 
This song that we sang, each verse is packed with something great. But this last verse, who can tell all the love he will send from above and how happy our hearts will be made of the fellowship sweet we shall share at his feet when our all on the altar is laid. That's the long look. Looking past the pain of giving that thing, that person up, and looking at the reward, the fellowship, the love that you get to manifest for your Savior. Discipleship is synonymous with sacrifice. You cannot get around it. It is not beyond reason to think that God would come to you this morning and say, I want more. I want something unique, special from you specifically. Say, Pastor, I'm not hearing anything specific from the Lord. Then learn from Abraham. Just be available. Keep listening. In due time, God will show up and say, does your offer still stand? Can I still use you in any way I see fit? At the very least this morning, you can say, behold, here I am. Lord, I'm all yours. You can never ask me for too much. Father, thank you for sending your son and showing us just how much you loved us. What an, a tremendous sacrifice you made. Lord, we want you to know you're not asking too much when you ask for everything. We are forever in your debt and we mean that in a good way, Lord. Lord, help us this morning to take a long look at the Isaacs in our lives and be willing, Lord, be willing to do with those things that we love whatever it is that you'd have us do. Help us to love you supremely, Lord. You know it's a challenge for us. Help us this morning to rise to that challenge. Father, I pray for each individual here, those listening at home. Help us, Lord, to have ears to hear. Help us to keep our ear pressed up against your heart. Thank you for the privilege of being involved in what you want to do in this world. Father, please let these words, let this story, let these thoughts remain in our heart. Let the seed take deep root and make a change in us. Please continue to have your hand upon us throughout this day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.